All right, so we are continuing our our journey through John. We are in chapter 2 still. Uh, We are in chapter 2, verses 13 through 25 today. And what we're getting to is basically, uh, this is the beginning of all of the uh, interactions that Jesus is going to have with the religious elite. So this is probably the first one that I can think of thus far. So, 13 through 25 today. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And within the temple grounds He found those that were selling oxen, sheep, doves, and the money changers seated at the tables. And He made a whip of cords, and He drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen. And He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling doves, He said, take these things away from here. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, what sign, you show, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and yet you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name as they observed his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on His part was not entrusting Himself to them because He knew all people and because He did not need anyone to testify about mankind for He Himself knew what was in mankind. Alright, so we have the Passover here. Uh, the Passover for us now being the significance of Christ's uh, burial, his, you know, his death, His burial, and His resurrection. And then, of course, 50 days after that, we have Pentecost when the Spirit comes down upon believers. But, the Passover is what is going on here. For those that are not completely familiar with what the Passover is or how significant it is, it's the celebration of the nation of Israel's release from the Egyptian bondage. Okay? And the Passover meal is eaten in remembrance of the Lord passing over the houses who, using a sacrificial lamb, had sprinkled blood on the doorposts and on their mantles. So the theme, if you want to say, for the Passover for the Jews at this time is the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation from slavery. From slavery with the Egyptians. So the Passover lamb was to be perfect. You were to pick the best from your flock. It was to be without flaw. And when they killed this lamb, when they sacrificed this lamb, you were to not break any of the bones. You know, you're not to, to mangle this, this animal. And this is the first of four Passovers that we're going to see Jesus attend. Obviously, He attended more since the age of 12, but we're going to see four from, that, from here on forth with the last one, of course, being... Uh, his crucifixion. 
So, all these people are coming to Jerusalem, okay? The Passover is a huge deal. Huge deal in Jerusalem. Christ being born under the law in His body, He's coming to observe it as well with all of these people. It would not be uncommon for thousands of people to go to the temple every day during Passover. Thousands of people. <clears throat> Some say that back then during, during this time that Jerusalem would have probably swelled upwards of a couple million additional people in the city during the Passover period. So a lot of people are coming from all around the region. A lot of people are seeing what is going on. And this, of course, is when Jesus is going to start working even more. These people come to town and they pay a temple tax. They pay about two to two days working wages to the temple. So you have a couple million people potentially paying this much money. And they cannot pay, they don't pay in Roman coinage, which would have been the coin of the day. Instead, they convert it at the money changing tables to a Tyrian shekel which basically the temple wanted that coin instead because it had a higher silver content in it. So they wanted the, the worthier coin for, these, for this purpose. So that's why there was the money changers there in case you ever wondered why. They wanted that coin, not the Roman coin, because it wasn't worth as much. So we're told that this is the Passover of the Jews, if you notice that. We're reading this as Christians, but some people, when they were reading it, maybe they didn't know what it was. But also, it's to show the difference because this was the Passover for them, but Christ is our Passover now. Christ is our Passover lamb. So it's for audience re relevance that we see that there. Now Christ, as we see in these texts here, He drives the merchants out of the, out of the temple court. Now, for those who wouldn't know, I didn't know this originally, um, the temple court is the only place where the Gentiles can go. The Gentile converts. That's the only place where they can go to worship. So you have the only place where the Gentile converts can go to worship, and it's completely filled up like a marketplace. So they can't even hardly get in there. So we have animals in there. This is for the purpose of people who are traveling from outside of the region, they can't bring their animals with them for sacrifice. They can purchase an animal there. That's the reason that these animals are there, the, the oxen, the sheep, the doves. And the doves, of course, are for that purpose, but they're for the people of, who are poor, essentially, who can't afford to buy a lamb, can't buy an oxen for this. So Christ comes up and He shoes all these people out. He shoes the animals out of there. He, pour, he turns over the money-changing tables. But notice, he wasn't just on a rampage. When I've, If you've ever watched this on, on a movie depiction, he kind of looks like he's going nuts in there when, he, when you look at it. He's not. When you look at the text, did you notice that he didn't just throw the cages of the doves and let them go? He didn't want these people to lose anything. Because if you shoo an oxen out of the area, you're still going to be able to catch your animal. So he did not just go in there recklessly throwing everything out. He, he tells the people with the doves, hey, take these, get out of here. Take these out of here right now. Okay. So he, was, he had a purpose. 
He had a mission and what he was doing there. He didn't want them to make his father's house a business, which is what was going on. He didn't say don't sell. He just said don't do it here. Don't do it here. This, this business is not... The, the, our faith should not be having a business here is what he's saying. <clears throat> So then they tell him, they say, what is your authority for doing this? Why are you doing these things? Who says you can do this? What sign can you show us for your authority for this? I want you to notice they didn't tell him to stop. They didn't say don't do this. They said, what's your authority? Even they could see the corruption that was going on by having this marketplace in the temple court. Because the Jewish people... Instead of asking what his authority was, they should have been jumping in line and helping him get this marketplace out of there. But they didn't. They asked for a sign, but they also didn't stop him from doing what he was doing. They were defiling the temple, and little did they know, as he would tell them, they were going to destroy another temple later. Because he says that they will destroy this temple, and in three days that he will raise it up. And they remembered that. They remembered that he said that because when we get to his trial, that's one of the things that they bring up against him, that he said he was going to destroy the temple. And they still didn't understand what he was talking about. <clears throat> so as I said, he was, Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body, but he also didn't object again to their rebuttal. They were talking about the physical temple he didn't even mention that. He didn't say, oh no, you're right about that. Because in another few decades, the temple was going to be ripped to the ground. In 70 AD, the Romans were going to come in and they were going to completely destroy that temple all the way down. And if you'll remember, when Jesus was talking with a Samaritan woman, He even told her that there was going to come a day where people would no longer worship at the temple, but they would worship God in spirit and in truth. So the physical temple was going away. Jesus didn't address it here. He just did not not address their rebuttal where they talked of it. But it took 46 years to build this temple. You can imagine, I mean, that's a long building process. 46 years. That is a long time. And He tells them that He's going to raise it up in three days. They just couldn't see that Jesus was the new temple of God. Because when we worship God, we keep our eye on Jesus. In the old days, in the Jewish faith, the high priests in the temple, they mediated between the people and God. But Jesus is our mediator now. And if you want to throw an even bigger wrench in for the Jewish people, for the cults of today, the Spirit of God resides in the body of each believer now too. Each one of us is a temple for the Lord. So during the feast, many believed in His name as they observed His signs. The signs which He was doing. But Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them. So believing in the miracle, but not in the miracle worker, is what was going on here. And Jesus didn't need their approval, is what we see in the text. Because He knew them. He knew what was inside of them. He knew everything about them better than they know about their self. 
This is the perk of having Jesus as our great physician. Because He can see everything in you. He can see what you need. He can see what He needed to go on the cross for you for. So He knows His patient. And that's also why He's the perfect judge as well. There is no mysteries. In all of this, the priests are ultimately to blame. The priests and the people. Because they were charging money for people to be doing this. They were making money off of this. They knew that this was sacrilege. And yet, they just kept letting it happen. Again and again, because this, this wasn't just a one-year thing. This was going on for decades. Hundreds of years. They've been doing this for a while. But all of this is an illustration, okay? This is an illustration not only in, in, in dialogue here because it is an actual event that occurred, but it is an illustration for us now because as I said, we are the temple. So the idea here is, and it's not just an idea, but the direction. We are creations of God, we are image bearers of God, and we are to let Jesus clear the temple. Clear our temple. So, the, so what would... What is something that you won't let the Lord clear? That you won't let go of? That's your question today. Because we all have something like that that we're fighting against, that we're not completely giving over to the Lord. You know, since, since Adam, we know sin has went down through the ages. And everyone has their defining moments of sin. I'll tell you what, what mine is, and I may have mentioned this before, but I can be having a great day spiritually... I get in the car, and somebody cuts me off, and all of a sudden everything just goes right out the window for about three seconds. And I'm guilty of it every time, and every time I feel terrible about it afterwards because I'm like, geez, why did you open your fat mouth? What is, what is wrong with you? But it's good to, to know that you did that wrong because it's showing that the Holy Spirit is working in your life when afterwards you go, oh, man, I really messed up. You wouldn't do that on your own. That's God working in you. That's Jesus clearing up the temple yard in His Christian child. And it's a continual thing. So we see this as a one-time thing in Scripture, but for us, it's a continual daily event. Jesus is clearing those tables. He's kicking those oxen out. Unlike in this Scripture, where it's a one-time event, and Jesus knows that the people that were believing on Him during this time, that they didn't mean it. See, in John 2, this chapter 2 that we're in, we see false converts. People that are believing on signs. But in the first chapter, we saw true believers. We saw people who said, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to drop everything I have, and I'm going to follow Him. So we see two contrasting people. People that are... The people in chapter 1 were willing to seek Him in spirit and in truth as we are told. No matter what their family said, because you know that their family said something. No matter what their old faith said, I guarantee you that their old faith had something to say. No matter what the world said, they said, we're going to follow this guy. And Jesus clears out the temple courts because of this. Because they are His, and He is not an absentee manager, okay? I won't take too much longer to close here because it is getting a little warm in here and all that. So, 
But this is an important passage. So you would, if you gleamed through this passage, you would think, okay, he cleared out some courts. Okay, great. You know, you'd kind of pass it on. But like I said, this is an image of us. And it's important because, and everybody knows, the last couple of years seem to have shown for some reason, or maybe I'm just seeing it more. But people are hurting, okay? People are hurting. People need God. And it seems like the deeper you get into faith, the more that you notice it. The more you see people resisting against it, the more you see people that you need to plant seeds in and let God water. So, but unlike, just like these people in the text here, there's a lot of people who want the miracles, they want the signs, but they don't want the court cleaned up. They don't want it cleaned up. They don't want to give up management to the, temp, to the king. That's what's going on. And we get like that too. I guarantee you I've gotten like that. I guarantee you I've been like that. You get to that point on something where you don't want any help. You don't want to submit because you can do it. You can get it done. You see, but we have worth in this world, which a lot of people are looking for. We have value because we are those image bearers of God, but it's only in kneeling to Jesus Christ, in kneeling to the King, where we can find salvation, where we can find our burdens lifted, which everybody's trying to get to, where we can find truth. And it's in that true makeup of God when we actually search the Scriptures for Him, when we pray to Him, when we commune with Him, where we see God's power in His creation, we see God's justice, and we see His mercy. And we see in these holy texts that we just read right now that He knows if we're not sincere. He knows that if we're not truly giving ourselves to Him. And He says, okay, I'm not going to force you. You won't give yourself to me, I won't give myself to you. That's why zeal for God is important. That's why it's important to not seek the cures, the blessings, the miracles, as your primary reason for faith. If that's the only thing holding you to your faith, that is not a true faith. See, we seek the great physician for His work on the cross. That is our primary reason for our salvation. And then, He knows to give to us what we need. I've talked to this before, but uh, when I was younger, when I was 17, 18, um, when, my, when a good friend of mine died of cancer, uh, I, had, I had a lot of those questions, those seeking of those miracles. I wasn't a believer, but I would, sit, I would still say, God, why didn't you save her? I would hate God. I would say, where is this miracle? I see you work miracles for other people. We see this in the Scriptures. Why don't we have it here? I couldn't see the big picture. I couldn't see the big picture that my friend, who was a believer, had, and I don't think she was before she got sick, but she had passed from an image bearer to a child of God. I couldn't see that because I wasn't there. I wasn't in that spot to be able to see it. That she had passed from death to eternal life, even though she died later. 
right? She died, but she didn't really die. But as she was dying, I didn't know. I didn't understand. She was she was letting Jesus clear her court because things that would have bothered most people, you know, I'm just going to let it go. You know, it wasn't important anymore. Impending death seems to do that when we are when we are with Jesus Christ. The things that are not important, we don't fight about anymore. We let Jesus clear what He needs to clear because we don't need that stuff. We don't need that junk in our court. So, let us, let us come to Jesus. Let us come to Jesus with earnest. Let us come to Him with excitement. Because it's only through Him that we're going to get this salvation. That we're going to live forever. That we're going to see our loved ones again. That we will have an impression upon this earth as we plant seeds. Let us come to Him with humility because we can't get to heaven on our own. And let us come to Him with total allegiance. Let's rest on His work on the cross, His work in our lives, and let's let Him clear out of our court what He will.